listening to Belt of Truth, Conversations, Arming Laity, powered by the Armor of God Men's Movement. Visit our website at armingmen.com. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and opportunity to just come and speak to you about our passions, our loves. We ask that this conversation be blessed and inspired by your holy words. We entrust all this as we pray together. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Jay Horning, thank you for being with us, man. Robert Gregory, thank you. <laughs> Walk us through your journey as a priest. How long have you been a priest? I was ordained June 2nd, 2018. So this coming year, 2022, will be completing four years of active priesthood. Mm. Would you say those four years have been everything you've expected or a big surprise? That's good. I mean, in the seminary, the question kind of comes up, like, what will priesthood look like? The seminary is really just a greenhouse of place where you're grown and cultivated and you get ideas every summer when you go to parish assignments could look like this could look like this there's a lot of things they don't teach you there's a lot of things you're not prepared for and there's a lot that you learn on the fly I would say though in those four years I've had a greater sense of joy in my personal life my spiritual life than I've had in the last 20 plus years of just living why I know what my vocation is, and I think when we know what our vocation is and we have a set focus, a direction to, to be moving in, then we are not only satisfied, but we are happy to do it. So real quickly, I was talking to a student the other day, and recently the Gospels were about end of times and how there's this unknown, like, I don't know what's going to happen in an hour. Who knows what's going to happen to us in an hour? But yet we do know that the Lord will come again. And so when I talked to the student, they were just very uh, anxious. And I said, well, walk me through your day. Like, what, what motivates your day? Nothing. I said, well, that's the difference. I think when I wake up, I don't necessarily know what's going to go on in my day, but I'm happy because I'm where I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing because this is what the Lord designed me to do as a priest. So in that sense, I'm really satisfied. Um, there's a lot more growth I have. There's a lot more things I need to like do to continue to learn, but as a whole, I am happy. Well, that's good to hear. Um, I know you took a, a pretty big undertaking on as uh, taking over Father Dan, who's been away for, seems like, four years. Um, yeah, luckily it's only been four months, mm-hmm. so that's good. But yeah, he was able to do that sabbatical, and that's really wonderful, and it gave me an opportunity to experience in a more trial-run kind of atmosphere of what it's going to be like to be a pastor. You get a lot of those experiences as parochials, the the guys who are kind of under our pastor, but this has been really, it's been a really developing time for me. So what do you think the, I hate to ask it this way, it's not fair, but what do you think the, the biggest takeaway has been for you now that you kind of have been, for lack of a better term, in charge? So the biggest takeaway has been recognizing the people I, I need to help me do this mission, because I can't do it all by myself, whether that be the staff or just people in the parish, the parishioners, and then the importance of over-communicating, making sure ideas, thoughts, missions are clearly stated over and over again. And it's something I used to 
laugh about in my own mind when Father Dan would talk about the oratory. I was like, Father Dan, I live with you. I understand there's an oratory. <laughs> but you never knew. Maybe there was a mass when he was speaking about that, and someone didn't know about it. So just the importance of over-communicating. Wherever I go next, I want to make sure people know what our purpose and mission is. And at the core of it should be to bring people to Jesus. So one thing I've always wondered with priests, how is it that, how does this work where, you know, you get very attached and you get intimate with, with this parish, right? I mean, you're, you're involved at a high level. How does that work knowing that you know you're not going to be here? It's a reminder that my priesthood is not for myself, but for the people I'm called to serve. And so if my heart breaks, it means I'm doing my job right. And my heart should break a thousand times. It doesn't mean I like it, but I was ordained for that purpose. Jesus died on the cross to save us. He didn't want to, but he did it because it was necessary for salvation. And so as a priest, uh, if I don't give myself, I'm cheating the people. I'm cheating myself. And if I give them myself, it will hurt me. And that's okay. Wow. Um, I, I, I just don't know how you guys do that. That's, that's hard. Um, so you, you had kind of alluded to this earlier. They don't teach you everything in seminary. What's, uh, if you had advice for kind of the, the programming of a seminary, um, what do you think they need to add? We've talked about that uh, in the seminary, in our different seminars. We talk about it as young priests. And one of the things we do, which I'm really grateful for our diocese, is we have mentor priests that we go to. We can talk about a lot of those things that we don't necessarily know. How would I handle this situation? Most of it's situational things. Sometimes it's something as basic as uh, business, books, finance. I don't come from a finance background. I had a job where I worked with a budget. I know how to run a budget. I know how to run my budget. But to run a, to run a budget of a $7 million place, that's kind of a little, little <laughs> daunting. Yeah. Again, you put the right people in the right places to help you. I don't have to know how to do all that if I have the right people there. But I need to know how to communicate that. I need to know how to find that. And so, as I said, it's mostly situational. Just how do you, how do you handle an experience with this person who is really opinionated over here and then a person that's completely opposite of that over there? How do you mend the two together? It's challenging. But it's, that's, that's life at the same time. Yeah. I've gone on vacation before and we'll go to Mass at a parish down in Florida, let's say. And, um, you know, it's great to be in the mass, but it's just an immediate affirmation of how blessed we are at St. Vincent because we have a very vibrant, alive parish. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been that way for a long time. Why? why? Why do you think that is? I mean, we've gone through, you know, Monsignor Kuzmik, now Father Dan, and then you've even stepped in in a leadership role over the last four months. And it seems like it's just growing What's the consistency? In one regard, any place that wants to do well has to have a good foundational leadership. So when you have a priest that's been here for 20 plus years like Monsignor John, you create a, a fatherhood mentality. Father Dan, same way. You know, he's entering into his seventh, eighth year, and there's just this sense of fatherhood. My one hope would be that people recognize that when it comes to the priests, we're not for ourselves, but we're for them. And we're here to serve and to ultimately build them up. 
And so what makes St. Vincent stand out maybe above the rest is we are a very large parish. We're the largest in the diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend. So you have a lot of people to pull from, but it also just means uh, you get very large sample sizes for anything you do. So if someone's like, we want to do this, there's probably going to be 20, 30, 40 people that want to do it. And while that's really good and really beautiful and really powerful, it's also important to say, is this within the scope of the mission for this parish? And that's something I've learned a lot in the last four months is that we don't have to do every single thing. It's good that people desire that, and it's good to point them in directions that do that, but it's also important to see that how, while we have this local parish of St. Vincent's, we have the diocesan church, and we have the other parishes nearby, and they we're all meant to be working together. We're all meant to be um, building each other up. So we have people who, because of the distance of parishes, might go in between the two for masses, and that's fine, but they might get involved in a ministry down the road because there's something they're doing there really well. And we actually just want to enhance that. We don't have to say, I have to copy that, do it my own way. Like, no, it's okay. We can, we can support them. And St. Vincent's, that's one of the things they do. Like in the stewardship mentality, St. Vincent de Paul cared for the poor, cared for seminarians. And we see that in things like our stewardship reports, just the way in which people give on a monetary level, but also look at just the, the ministries. There's over 80-some-odd ministries here because people give of their time and their talent. And so it comes down to generosity. Am I willing to give something because it's going to aid this mission? Well, that's kind of where I wanted to go next. Um, you know, we, we're on what we all hope to be the back end of a pandemic, right? And so um, there was a, a time where you know, we were kind of shook as a church, I think, to maybe the, the things we took for granted were taken away from us, like even going to mass or the sacraments or confession or um, those types of things. Um, I've told you before, I, I believe one of the gifts of that is, you know, I think it kind of shook the laity and, and, um, and woke us up a little bit to say, hey, we, this is, this is a, our church, right, just as much as it is your church, and we're together in this. So let's talk a little bit about the relationship between the domestic church, you know, the home, and then the local church. Um, you know, how do you see that today? Yeah, and I, as I've thought about this, it's actually important to recognize, too, that when we talk about the local church, we're talking about a church that we're com- comfortable with, familiar with, in the context of the United States. So the local church in Central America, South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, this is going to be different and look different. When people, like on a real quick thing, they talk about like, oh, we didn't have the opportunity to go to Mass every day. Like, yeah, that was really unfortunate. But there are places in the world where that doesn't exist, period, because of a lack of priests or places are so spread out. Like, I think of Father Falzon with Honduras. Like, this man is one priest for a region that's enormous. And most people get to go to Mass maybe once a month. That's not even pandemic-related. So that's just an important note. Like when we talk about the local church and the domestic church, we're very, very blessed in the United States. And we have to also kind of keep that in the context of like, okay, my privilege that I've been given by being here with the things that I have at this parish, in this community, how do then I make the most of that? How do I benefit that? But you're right. I want the domestic church, the family, the home to always point back to the local church. But if the, the local church doesn't feed and source the domestic church, the domestic church implodes. 
if the domestic church doesn't go back to the local church, the local church implodes. So you can't have one without the other. But what it does say is when the local church is unable to, or when people might think the, the local church is not providing the thing I desire or want, well, what are you doing in your home? What, like, where do you start? We start at the, the least common denominator. Uh, so the, the, the sense of subsidiarity. What can I do at my level? And then what do I need from the next level? The next level, like, clearly the domestic church can't have mass in their home. So we go to the local church. But the, the domestic church can have prayer. The domestic church can have worship. The domestic church can have intercession. It can have all these other things, community. And so we begin with that. And then what's really cool, you think about this, and this is how it was in the age of antiquity, right? So the early church in the 300s, local, the, the domestic churches, the local homes banded together to create places of community. And so even, again, St. Vincent's has this sense of small Christian communities. Think about all those little domestic churches are coming together because they, they belong to this local church. That's just really awesome to think about. Um, you can't have one without the other, and the one should always feed the other. Yeah, I, I remember Father Dan, um, he, he used a phrase that initially kind of struck me. Uh, he called them sleeper cells. Mm. And he said, you know, as we transition through this time where we're kind of forced, like you said, to, to rethink um, evangelization and re- rethink you know, who we are as a community, he was very clear that the way that you'll thrive is to have these small groups. And, you know, whether it be individual accountability groups, you know, groups of five men that meet every week and hold each other accountable, all the way to groups of families that think the same, that worship the same, and how powerful and intentional that needed to be. And if we had already had that formed, that this last pandemic would not have affected us in the way that it did. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. If we don't have a foundation to build from, then where do we step forward into? And I thought about this when I was a high school youth director. I think about it as a, I thought about it as a seminary and I think about it as a priest. Now there were places at those different points of my life. I just couldn't go to as a high school youth director I was able to go into the Catholic high schools, but maybe not the public high schools. So how do I minister to that whole sect of those students? Well, I have to create, quote-unquote, sleeper cells of my own students to like go in there and do the mission for me. Or I'd have a core team of people that could go in there and like do the mission for me. Same thing as a priest. Like There are places that will just not accept me. Okay, I get that. Whether that's a rejection of God or rejection of whatever. I can't go into some places, and even if I do, I'm going to have a pre-configured notion about me, or I'm going to have a huge target on my back. And so, to have the lay faithful go out there and witness by their mission, like, why are you so happy today? I went to Mass this morning. Really? What's that about? Tell me about that. I want to go. Or, man, you seem super grumpy. Yeah, I had to go to Mass this morning. Oh, I don't think I want that. There's a whole different power in that witness. And if we have good foundations, then nothing can really rock us. I've talked about this. I I do think the gift uh, of the the pandemic is that the lady was kind of awoke. Um, It's a a term that's kind of misused today in terms of being woke, but I think we were 
shook and, and awake. And I think there's a, an awakening happening uh, right now where uh, I think spiritual leadership is, is, is coming to a rise. And it's, it's something I'm passionate about, as you know. So let's talk a little bit about that, uh, you know, the, the spiritual leadership of the home. And you had said before that there used to be this perceived threat from men or um, family members that reclaim their authority, their priestly authority over their homes. You know, talk about what, what does that mean? Yeah, and as I thought about that term woke too, the word that I think would be better suited would be we've become more aware. And in terms of like the military, we would say we have a situational awareness now. I'm situationally aware that this is what's going on that maybe I took for granted before or I never considered because I was just kind of focused on my own life and mission. So that's that, that's that response to woke because you're right, like woke has so many negative connotations. So we're aware. We're aware that we need one another. And that does get into a point about a, a threat or perceived threat, and I'll even speak from my own experience. So I'm a convert. I was baptized in 2010, so I came from zero religious background. And when I became Catholic, I, I, I became Catholic not because of a priest or anything, but because of the Eucharist, uh, Jesus Christ. That was ultimately the reason I wanted to become Catholic. I wanted to receive the Eucharist. And so then becoming a youth director and having that role and responsibility of caring for, for youth gave me different, gave me like an order, gave me a, a way to direct and order my life. And then discerning the priesthood, it was this question of, okay, how am I best being called to love? That's how I speak about vocations in general. So with marriage, you're called to love a husband, a wife uniquely, and from that have children and raise them in the faith. Uh, a priest or religious brother or sister, consecrated individual, is maybe called to love broadly, um, but still to have Christ at the focal point of that. And I remember discussions with my friends from college, and it was like they... They are so adamant about their baptismal priesthood that it seems like, why does it even bother if I become a priest? If you have your baptismal priesthood, why do you even need me? And it was that, is I understand, like, what's the order? How does this fit together? So that's where it started from me was, well, you don't even think you need me. When in reality, like, you need the priest, you need the bishop, you need the deacons, you need those orders because there's a there's a system and a, a regiment. So there's there's really two types of priesthood. There's the the priesthood of the faithful, which we talk a lot about within baptism, priest, prophet, king, and then there's the ministerial priesthood, so the the ordered priest to to Jesus Christ through diaconate or priesthood or, or presbyterate or episcopacy, episcopacy, the bishop. And so that challenge that I faced was, how does my priesthood fit into the baptismal priesthood again? Because if I was already a baptized person through my, if I was already a priest in my baptism, then why am I becoming an ordained priest? As an ordained priest, yeah, I celebrate the sacraments. So I, I have to live in the person of Christ and be the person of Christ. And then that brings up a whole nother sect of like, what about guys who have failed? What about the, all the failures in the church? Like, yeah, their humanity is a problem and that's sin, but that doesn't affect the efficaciousness of the, the graces of the sacraments. When I became a priest and I saw the, the importance of like, there's a lot that has to happen on an administrative level. Could you imagine a priest by himself trying to run St. Vincent's Parish of 10,000-plus people. Let's just let's break it down. There are four secretaries in the office. There's a director of communications. There, is, there are two pastoral associates. 
There's a business manager, a finance manager. There are youth ministers, multiple. And, that, and then there's an entire school. And, I'm, and I know I missed people. So if you imagine like a priest trying to do all that, that's crazy. So clearly we need the lay people to do that. But then within that, it's to recognize and respect one another's roles. I respect the role of the men I know to be leaders in their families and to do so because of the graces of their baptism, which gave them a baptismal priesthood. And that's good, and that's beautiful, and that's important. And that's not a threat to my priesthood because we respect one another and we know that we need one another for different things. I have to go to other priests for confession. I know I need that. I can't confess to myself. It doesn't work. I can't anoint myself. So I, I also need my brother priest. But it's not that their baptismal priesthood circumvents or takes away from mine, but they're both glorified together in a parallel together because we're both on the mission together to live for Jesus. And so when it gets to the family and it gets to men, the biggest challenge has been that men have been made more aware to the need of their own baptismal priesthood to sacrifice to not just be for themselves. Just like my priesthood has never been for myself, but always for other people. Like I had a funeral this afternoon, and that funeral was because I got a phone call on a Friday night last week to go anoint a person who was dying. As a normal lay person with a family, like that would be probably a challenge to go and say, all right, I'm going to drop everything and go do this. But like as a priest, like I wait for that phone call. And I go and I'm with that family for however long they need me. And then I walk with them through that whole process of the death of their loved one, and I bring them the hope and the, the mercy of Christ. But once I'm done, I need them to keep building each other up. And I need those men and those fathers to continually lead their children after that. I'm meant to interject in moments of lives, but these men are meant to be the catalyst for all of life for their families. I remember you saying to me that you used the word refreshing. You said it was refreshing to you. You saw men step in and reclaim their priestly authority, and you guys as as priests kind of feel a little bit of relief that we're as the laity, we're not sitting back and just assuming that you've got it handled. Father Dan, Father Jay, Father Eric, and Father Polycarp, you guys will handle it. You, you'll tell us what we need to do. Going through what we've gone through the last year and a half, I mean, you can't you can't have that mindset anymore, right? I think the laity needs to understand that. You certainly, you know, we we need priests. We love priests, but we can't sit back with the mindset anymore that you guys will just solve all the problems. Yeah, it's, it's the biggest thing is moving from a passive faith to an active faith. Do you believe that that is emerging from from this pandemic? Do you feel like that, that that's become, like, I keep using the word awakening. There's like an awakening happening. And it maybe it's just me, but like I've, I've kind of, I've gotten shook to the point where it's like, hey, wait a minute, not only should I be doing this, I have to do this. Like if I don't step up right now at this time in this season and reclaim that priestly authority and become the spiritual leader of my household, if I don't do that and I just sit back and, like you said, in a passive role, my family will be gobbled up from the counterculture, right? I, I think it's a mindset shift. You know, um, I've said before, how you see the world determines how you live your life, right? So we all come from different places. And um, sadly, I think spiritual wounds have affected mm. our lenses, especially as men, 
you know, so therefore how, how we're looking at the world has been, you know, formed based on our spiritual wounds in our homes and, and things like that. All that said, I think one of the gifts that I'm seeing come out of where we're at today is the, the mindset change that, that men are, are, are waking up to the mindset that, okay, this is a joint venture between us and the priest, right? Yeah. And I like that you mentioned that again, woundedness has a lot of things that will affect us. And I see that with young people. I see that with older people. I see that after death, you know, there's a wound in our heart. Something is removed from us, right? A grandparent dies. Oh, I hate God must hate me. And I'm going to leave the church. Like time out. Like how did we jump to this, this conclusion that God abandoned me or something? And and I've heard about this even from my brother priest. We, when we have our, our priestly meetings, there are still guys who have people who are struggling with this idea that the church abandoned them last year when the, the, when the, when we had to, when we weren't able to have the masses in public, like the church abandoned me. It's like the church has never abandoned us, but it is this awareness of, I have to actively pursue my faith. And if I'm not actively pursuing it, someone else will move it and direct it and take me in a place that maybe I don't want it to go. And so that's been a huge thing I've seen in our religious education program. I've seen that within the school. I've seen that in the parish as a whole, that people, if they're leaving, they're leaving because they want entertainment. They want something to fill the gap. They want to be, they want the the candy, the, the sugar rush all of a sudden, instead of the sustenance and the meat and the potatoes. And because the meat and the potatoes is hard to cook. If you ever try to cook potatoes, it takes a long time. Yeah. Like, if you want a good steak, you have to be delicate with it. You you have to like nurture it almost in a sense. Like whereas I can go grab a bag of Skittles and down that and I'll be done. Faith is the same thing. If I'm not nurturing it, if I'm not tenderizing it, if I'm not developing it, then I'll just let myself be filled with crap. And and the, that's just not good. So you're right. That awareness is so evident, so there. And again, I'm so grateful for the men that I've encountered that I know you're one of them who wants to, and it has this passion in their heart. But then like the challenge is like, how do I take all this passion and align it to where I'm hurt and wounded and not, not, not uh, project that onto others? Because that's because that's where we get into the weeds and stuff. And we can so often get into the weeds and just create more problems for ourselves. And that's not helpful. So that yeah, kind of gets to what your point was. Yeah. So, you know, when we go into the next calendar year, we're rounding out this 2021, we go into 22, where are we headed, you know, as, as, as a, as a community, um, maybe put some color on that, you know, father day before you left, he, he specifically spoke about Pentecost coming to St. Vincent at some point. Mm. Tell me where you think we're going. Yeah. So we're in a place in a time where this whole transactional ministry, I show up to church on Sunday, I get my Eucharist, I go back home and I go about my week is done. I've seen that in youth ministry. I'm seeing that in the the ministry as a whole for the faith. And as far as that Pentecost, yeah, the Holy Spirit has so much power as the advocate. We're seeing that with the bishops bringing about the the Eucharistic revival year. Again, just getting back to a basic of, do we understand that Christ is present in the Eucharist? Do we genuflect before a tabernacle? When we see adoration going on, do we get down on our knees or oh, it's just a gesture, and I'll just kind of go about my day. I'm not going to let it affect it. My faith has to be affecting what I do day to day. I mean, you told me this a few weeks ago. Like, you've restructured your entire day just to make sure you can get to daily Mass. 
that's the kind of thing that needs to be happening on the basic human level. And for men and for fathers and for any lay person in their baptism who wants to claim their priestly identity through that, that's what it means. We reorder our day for Jesus. My day is totally structured around that. So this Pentecost, this this revival, this Holy Spirit is a sense of hope, which we need. It's also a reminder that we can't do this by ourselves. I can't do everything I need to do as a priest without the lay people. The lay people can't do everything they need to do without me as the priest. We have to work together. We need we need our, our domestic church. We need our local church. We need our bishop. We need the universal church, really. And there's going to be people that we disagree with. And that's the other huge thing I've learned at St. Vincent's. We're a really big family. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of opinions. And when you come from a big family, now I'm an only child, mm-hmm. but I was still told no a lot. We come from a big family. We're not going to get every single thing we want. And that's not God not loving us. That's not God not caring for us. That's not people not stepping up, actually. But to be moving forward has to be aware of where the Lord is moving me. And so for men, I think especially, it's a reclaiming of their authority as the father of their homes. Guys, if you're not getting your families to church, I hate to say this, but you're failing. Guys, if you're not leading your family in prayer, this might, this might feel harsh, but you're not, you're not leading. And I say that with my own failure. I fail as a human still. I have this, this ordained reality that's changed me, so I will always be a priest forever, but I'm still a human and I still fail. And so oftentimes when I preach, I'm preaching to myself. But if we don't start working together for the very basic point of growing a relationship with Jesus, the church will die. One of the last podcasts we did together, I wanted to touch on that. You you ended by saying the church needs you. Yeah. And you, you, you kind of touched on that, but take it a step further. What what does that mean in the sense that it will die? Like walk me through what that really means. Put put some color on that. Yeah. I had a a kid ask this question. I was joking, kind of, but they said if if I'm baptized as a Catholic and I don't get confirmed, what will happen to my soul? And so I said jokingly to them, I said, Your soul will shrivel up and die. And they freaked out. I said, Well think about it. Because confirmation is the Holy Spirit being sealed into us. We're waiting for this new Pentecost and we're waiting to be fed. And we're actually waiting to almost explode with joy. So what do I mean by if we don't step up, we will die and the church needs you? If people don't come to Mass on a practical level and we don't collect, make collections, we can't pay bills. If people don't come to Mass and see the importance of faith in their lives, and they just decide to kind of do whatever relativism tells them, like, oh, this will ma- is what will make me happy. Society will continually go down just a spiral. The thing that the church does is it gives us ethics and morals and direction. And so, again, the military term is it, it gives us an azimuth. It gives us a point to always reference to go forward. And if I don't have a faith and religion with Jesus Christ— relationship with Jesus Christ, I don't know what direction to move in. And so when even people are like, well, I, I'm religious, but I'm not faithful, or I'm faithful, but not religious, whatever that terminology they use are. But like, well, I believe in God, but I don't go to church. Why? 
Why do we not go to church? Oh, it's inconvenient to me. It's, it's difficult for me. Whatever the excuses are, whatever the challenges are, we have to get back to the point of, I need you, and therefore you need me. We had Mass this morning with the kids, and I, I had seven other people helping me distribute communion, and they are all women. Now, some of them are teachers, and that was great, but I was like, I know there's guys out there who can distribute communion. Why aren't they distributing communion? The same thing, like, at Sunday Masses, like, there are some Masses we just struggle to get people to usher or uh, be greeters even, just, like, smile at the door. So, yeah, if people don't show up, the church will die because it will become a place of just, it will just become a big building with empty seats and bodies that don't have any joy in them. So I think the greatest death is the internal death of the soul. If we don't allow the Lord to redirect our lives, we will let anything redirect it, and we'll just be eating a bunch of candy. We're very blessed at St. Vincent to have these amazing priests, and you guys do a great job of in your homily, which obviously means a conversation, right? That's the term homily. I think you do a good job on Sundays of, of giving us the gospel in a tangible way, but you end with a spiritual exercise. I've always liked that because that's kind of how my brain works. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you gave me that info, but what do I do with it? I need something practical. Yeah, so to kind of put a bow on this whole thing, what's the spiritual exercise that you're going to ask us to take away from this going into 22? Whether it be male or female, husbands, wives, spiritual leadership. What's what's the takeaway? What's the spiritual exercise for 2022? The first is to spend personal time before the Blessed Sacrament of the Eucharist, whether that's one hour a week, one hour a month, but have personal, intimate, one-on-one time with the Blessed Sacrament. And we have an oratory here that you can do that. There's lots of slots you can do that with. But even if you, and I even want people to commit to a time. Like commitment's important and continuity is important. So that's the first thing is if we don't spend face-to-face time with our Lord, we won't have that relationship. We won't know what to do. So that's the first thing. Second, embrace the sacraments as joyful opportunities of encounter and not just obligatory, grudgery things of I have to get this done. So, I found that in the seminary, the days where I had my best times of prayer were when I wasn't worried about getting off to something right after we were done. And I would give myself a little extra time, like maybe a minute or two in the chapel when I wasn't like rushing to class or rushing to some event. So plan well when you will go to Mass. And make sure it's every week at the minimum, maybe even every day, like you're doing. So you're modeling something well within that, Rob. So personal time with the Lord planned time at mass and then because we are humans and we are fallen creatures and we will struggle a routine regiment of confession whether that's once a month once every two months i wouldn't recommend going longer than two months but that way our soul is always being cleansed we're always self-reflecting on where we can grow and we're allowing ourselves to be healed we're giving ourselves medicine to to face the the junk of the world. So those would be my three takeaways. Personal time in prayer, that's scheduled. Plan time for Mass where we're not rushing off to the next thing. And then good self-reflection that leads us to confession and healing. 
the last part is as the leaders of, of families, husbands and wives, you need to be praying together. If I pray with my spouse, who is the church, then husbands need to pray with their wives and husband and wives need to pray with their husbands. Because while it says wives be subordinate to their husbands, it also says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. So every guy out there should be leading prayer. And if he's not, he should be excited about his wife bringing him to prayer. But I um I would really love to see that happen too. It's just personal prayer time with each other at the end of the day, three to five minutes, something simple. Well, that's great. And like I said, I think that's the way that a lot of us are thinking now is these tangible action steps that we can take to implement what you're giving us. So thank you for that. And, and a personal thank you to stepping up. Uh, you, you did a great job these last couple months on, you know, on your, uh, I guess on your own, but you weren't on your own. As you said, you had plenty of support. Yeah. Um, I was so blessed with so many people. Yeah. And we thank you. We love you. And um, like I said, it's, it's hard because we know we won't have you forever. You know, thank you for doing this uh, interview and thank you for everything you're doing for us. Yeah. Thank you as well. It's a blessing. You've been listening to Belt of Truth, powered by the Armor of God Men's Movement, located in Fort Wayne, South Bend Diocese in Fort Wayne, Indiana. For more information about Belt of Truth and Armor of God, visit armingmen.com.